Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, let's open up to 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel 24. And as you turn there, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth for the next few minutes would be honoring to you, would be glorifying to you, would be pleasing to you, that I would speak by your Holy Spirit as one speaking the very words of God, so that in everything that is done here and in our lives, you may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 24, and as you turn there, I I want you to think about this question in your mind. I want you to think about when you first started walking with Christ, what were the primary sins in your life maybe that you were struggling with at that time? And now, whether that was days ago, weeks ago, months ago, maybe years, decades ago, probably there's been progress. Some of those sins are not present in your life anymore, certainly not to the degree that they were at one time, but almost probably There's at least one or two that still seem to haunt you at times and prevalent and come back in a tempting force. And so in one sense, what I'm hoping that God will impress upon all of our hearts, myself included this morning, is that as long as we are on planet Earth, we are still in the fight against sin and Satan. There's real progress in the Christian life. There's real progressive holiness. There can and should be change. But there's not going to be perfection in the Christian life until we see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. Now what we did this weekend on the men's retreat, for those of you that weren't there, is we primarily looked in 1 Samuel and we looked at King Saul and we looked at the sin of pride in his life, how it started, the roots of it, the very small, subtle beginnings, but then how it grew and really took over his life and destroyed his life. And we compared him to other godly men in 1 Samuel and primarily to David as a great example of humility. And If you know much about David and the historical books of the Bible, you keep reading in Chronicles and Kings. And David is really held up in some sense as the gold standard of Old Testament godliness. In fact, it's a common refrain when it's talking about later kings. If it was a good king, a godly king, it would say something to the effect of, he walked in the ways of his father David. And that's a high praise, high honor. But if it was a sinful, wicked, evil king, it would say he didn't walk in the ways of David. But what we're going to look at this morning is David's pride. And the reason is even the best of us, the most godly, the most wise, the most advanced, the most sanctified, sin still lives within us and we have to take it seriously. We have to be quick, just like the confession that we read, the first thought, the first feeling, the first desire, the first action, the first word, the first deed to try to take sin captive and put it to death before it grows in our life. So we want us to look in this last chapter of 2 Samuel. And just remember at this point, God has established David. God has given David great and mighty promises that he was going to have a dynasty, a legacy, that he would always have a son to sit on the throne of Israel, that he would be secure from his enemies. He'd be protected. And David has enjoyed so much blessing from God, and yet we're going to see how pride began to grow in his life. And sometimes, I've noticed this in my own life, the more that God blesses us, there is a sense that we can almost become drunk 
on his blessings because they're so good, they're so rich, they're so free, they're so lavish that we can sometimes become a little cavalier, a little too loose, a little too confident and make poor decisions. And we're going to see this in the life of David. So 2 Samuel chapter 24, starting verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. Now, this is a really strange verse. God was angry at the nation of Israel. We're not told why, but it was certainly for some sin in the life of Israel. Maybe Israel had become proud of her accomplishments as a nation and was boasting in those. We're not sure, but God was angry at Israel. That's not that strange. God gets angry at sin. What's strange is that it says... God incited David against Israel. Now, this can really bother us. James chapter 1, verse 13, fairly famous verse, probably many of you are familiar with it, says, God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So God is never trying to lure anyone into sin. And the Westminster Confession of Faith has a famous phrase that's been very helpful to me. It says, God does no violence to the will of the creature. And here's the idea. There's never some poor, innocent person out there that says, you know what, I really want to be holy today. I really want to obey. And God says, no, in my sovereignty, I'm going to make you disobey. That never happens. Never works that way. But what often happens is there is a thing called restraining grace. And I bet all of us have experienced it. Where there are times in our life where we're like, you know what, I'm thinking about sin. I'm planning on sin. I'm plotting sin. I'm about to sin. And then somehow, some way, God does something to protect us from ourselves. Have you ever experienced that? Restraining grace. And aren't you glad when he does it? But here's the thing. He doesn't always do it. Sometimes God removes his restraining grace and lets us do exactly what we want to do in our sinful ways. And that's what's going on here with David. There was pride in his heart and God removed a sense of his restraining grace. And David launches into a sinful thing to call a census. Now, a census taking a number of the people, the troops primarily, in Israel and Judah. It was not always a bad thing to do. In fact, go back to Exodus, there were times where a census was commanded. But there was something wrong in David's heart about the reason. So sometimes what we're doing externally can look great. It can look normal. It can look right. And in a different setting, it might be a good and right plan. But based on the motives and the desires of our heart, an externally neutral action can actually be a sinful thing. Look at what verse 2 says. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, who was with him, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people that I may know the number of the people. Now, there's probably something there I want to know. This is for me. This is for my name. This is for my pride. This is for my glory. And again, we don't fully understand what the pride was, but it may have been one or a couple of things. It may be that David wanted to boast and look at what my hands have built. Look at the army. Look at the troops. Look at the strength. Look at the peace that I have brought. may have been that. It may have been a sense of self-reliance, self-confidence. Maybe he was planning a military invasion of another country that God hadn't sanctioned. And so rather than depending on God's blessing, he was going to depend on his military might. We don't know, but there was pride going on. Maybe it was boasting in his own accomplishments, maybe trusting in his own resources. Now look at Joab's response in verse 3. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord the king still see it. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? You see that word, delight. David was too excited about his accomplishments, about the blessings, and he was taking credit for it. And rather than delighting himself primarily in the Lord, 
he was starting to delight himself too much in the gifts of God rather than just the giver himself. And we can easily slip into that. I know that I do. But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Now, if you read much of 1 and 2 Samuel and you try to determine, was well, Joab a good guy or a bad guy? He's a hard one to figure out. You know, if he was in an old western, he wouldn't have a white hat or a black hat. He'd have a zebra hat. Because sometimes he seems like he's doing the right thing and sometimes he seems like a bad dude. But here, he gives David great advice. And one of the things we talked about this weekend, one of the biggest ways to tell the difference in pride and humility in your heart is how do you respond when people give you feedback, give you advice, give you constructive criticism. Stay here in 2 Samuel. I'm just going to read a few Proverbs for just a second. You don't even have to turn there if you don't want to. You can jot them down, look at them later. You can flip over if you want to, but just very quickly. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. That's exactly what's happening for David here. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. In chapter 13, verse 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. David, in his pride, ignored the good advice of his best counselor and said, I'm going to do it anyway. Shut your mouth. I'm the king. Obey me. And so he did. Now, I want us to see David's repentance. He starts bad, but he's going to end well. Drop down to verse 8. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave the song with the numbering of the people to the king in Israel. There were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword and the men of Judah were 500,000. Again, go back to the beginning of 1 Samuel and we're told that only Saul and his son Jonathan had a sword. And now there's over a million that have the sword. They're ready to fight. God has blessed and prospered their nation and David's leadership so much. Verse 10, but David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly on what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, we don't know exactly why. Maybe it was just the Holy Spirit bringing conviction on David's heart. Maybe he saw the pride that started to swell in the rest of the nation when they heard this great census report. But the bottom line is he had a conscience. It struck him, and he's going to be a great example of repentance. And guys, we need to be instructed when you have taken steps into sin. As soon as your conscience strikes you, the best thing you can do is stop and repent there. Don't wait. You don't have to wait to repent for one second. As soon as conscience strikes your heart, turn back to Christ and sprint to him. He takes full responsibility in his prayer. No blame shifting. So many times when we repent... It's a half-hearted repentance. It's a weak repentance. We look for excuses. Well, I was scared. Well, it's kind of Joab's fault. He should have given me two rebukes. I would have listened to the second one. He actually went out and did the counting, not me. You don't get any of that from David. My fault. I did this. Look at verse 11. When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, shall three years of famine come to you in the land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Another little side note I want to make here. 
when somebody has truly been saved, truly been forgiven, the punishment for your sin is gone. You will never be punished for your sin again. But God, like a good father, does discipline his children. He does chastise us. He does bring consequences to bear for our sin. And guys, that ought to be one of, not the only, not the main motive. But when we are tempted to sin on the front end, one of the best things we can do, it ought to just be, I love God, I don't want to do this. But sometimes in the dark night of the soul, that's not enough, is it? And it can also be wisdom to remind yourself there are often painful consequences to sin, even for the Christian in this life. Not always. I mean, sometimes God's so gracious, he doesn't give it as any consequences. He's almost like an overindulgent father sometimes. He's so gracious. But he's not overindulgent. He is perfectly wise. And he knows when the best thing for us to protect us from sinning more is to bring a little pain in our life to spare us from long-term pain. And so, guys, use that in your mind to try to say, I don't want to sin because I don't want to grieve the heart of God, but I don't want to suffer the painful consequences. Keep going right there in verse 14. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. Guys, I want you to see something about David's heart. The prophet, the mouthpiece of God said, you got three options. A famine, a disease, or your enemies can come chase you. And David says, I don't want to be chased by humans. I don't trust other humans. Give me one of the other two that comes straight from the hand of God because I know that God is merciful even in his wrath. David understood the heart of God. Verse 15, so the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men. Guys, this was the coronavirus times 10. 70,000 people in probably less than three days in a fairly small country. Wiped out. Verse 16. And when the angel stretched out his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw that the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. There's so much that's good here. Again, do you notice David is saying, it's my fault. I want to bear the blame, not the people. This is a great picture of responsibility. No blame shifting. It's all my fault and I'll take all the consequences if you'll let me. But did you also notice this? God is so rich in mercy. He really does have a heart like a grieving parent. I remember my father saying to me, I have said it to my children, and I bet many of you have been a part of this conversation. I'm going to have to spank you, son, but I promise you it's going to hurt me more than you. And let's just be honest, that's not always true. Sometimes it's like, you know what, I'm excited about this spanking. You deserve it. I've been waiting too long, and you're about to get it. Maybe, that, maybe that's never been true in a parent's heart fully. Sometimes we catch a glimpse of that. We don't like bringing pain into our children's life. We grieve. But to whatever degree we have that compassion in our heart, it's just a little dim flicker of what goes into the heart of Father God. He is loving enough and wise enough to bring the painful consequences when it's best for us, but he doesn't enjoy doing it. 
It's like he hates doing it. And even here, it's like before the three days was up, God said, stop it. Stop it. No more wrath. Like I can't take it anymore. Now, did you also notice this? God stopped the wrath before David even prayed. Right? You remember the verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, where Jesus says, Don't pray like the pagans who think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask you. It's a great picture. David's seeing the devastation. He goes and begs God, have mercy. God's already stopped the disease. God is such a kind God. If you are in a situation dealing with sin, and the example that just comes to my mind most readily is in marriage. I do a decent amount of marriage counseling. And there's such a tendency, especially in marriage, when we hurt one another, to want to say, you know what, I'm going to confess my stuff. I'm going to try to deal with my stuff. I'll tell this from the male perspective. But if she's not going to deal with her stuff, it's not going to work. It's kind of like, I'll do my 50% work, and she better show up and do her 50% work. You know what? Go ahead and call the divorce lawyer. Probably not going to work out. If you want a marriage to work, you've got to come in with an attitude, I will do whatever it takes. I will own the fault. I won't try to blame shift. I won't try to minimize. I won't try to make sure it's exactly right and equitable. I just will repent. I will own it. I will fall down. And listen, why is that so hard for us guys in any relationship? Because we don't fully trust the other person to do the right thing. We don't tr truly trust them to be fair. We don't truly trust them to be mature and deal with their junk. And so we're trying to kind of micromanage the process. But what we ought to do in any, maybe it's a business relationship where you're in conflict with somebody is remember God is sovereign over the universe. And we may not be able to trust our business partner or even our marriage partner fully, but we can trust him fully. And he loves repentance. It draws him to us. And we will humble ourselves and repent like this, like David did. David's pride, David's repentance, and now let's look at David's atonement. Verse 18. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna averted, excuse me, then Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, The Lord your God accepts you. But the king said to Aruna, No. But I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that has cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Again, do you see the depth and the reality of David's repentance? The depth and the reality of his ownership of the sin. He's saying, I want to pay full price so everybody will know this was my fault. I did this. With his money, in a sense, he was identifying with the sin. He was identifying with the responsibility. 
He was taking full responsibility for what he had done wrong. Verse 25. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. And there's a sense that maybe God had stopped the angel temporarily, but maybe the wrath was going to start back. But after David made the sacrifice, it was over. Now this is a great picture of repentance, but it's an even greater picture of Father Hart's mercy-laden heart. Martin Luther said, wrath is God's strange work. You understand what he means by that? God will show wrath, but he doesn't like to show wrath. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but God loves mercy. He likes to show mercy. Another commentator named Davies said, what we see here is wrath wrapped in mercy. Again, don't trifle with God. He's serious. He will come against sin. But the heavy note falls on his mercy, his kindness, his love for his people, his gentleness. And see, part of why David was able to repent so well and so fully is because he really understood this about the heart of God. When you know that God is rich and dripping and lavish in mercy, it's easier to run back to him and confess. It's more motivating to go back and say, it's all my fault. I take responsibility. Not going to blame shift. Now, what can we learn from this text? What can we apply? The first point would just be this, guys. David had been humble for years. He'd been an example, a model for humility. But just because you've had 20 years of a humble life, there's no guarantee you'll be humble tomorrow. Pride can sneak in. Any sin can creep into our heart. We must keep our guard up. If it can happen to David, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. Now, When we are convicted of sin, convicted of pride, really any sin, do everything you can to take full responsibility and fully repent as quickly as possible and not try to blame shift at all. But then the third point, and this is the most important. Ultimately, our life is not primarily about us. Humanly speaking, 1 and 2 Samuel is the story of David's life, and he was the hero. Like I said, he was the gold standard. But even his standard is not enough. Because it's very interesting. We get to the very last chapter of the story of David. The last chapter in 2 Samuel. And it's a story of David blowing it royally. Screwing up his leadership. Hurting the people underneath him. And so what it reminds us is all of our stories are ultimately not primarily about us. They're primarily about God. God is the hero of 1 and 2 Samuel. God is the hero of the whole Bible. God is the gold standard of the universe. God is the hero of our story. He always is. Now this account shows up as well in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Don't flip over there, but you can do it later if you want to. And part of what we're told there is that this place where this sacrifice was offered is where Solomon eventually built the temple. And think about what the temple was primarily about. The temple was about where God comes to earth and meets with his people personally. Where God comes to earth and meets with people even in their sin, but blood sacrifice is offered so that his wrath can be averted and mercy can continue to be poured out. It's an incredible symbol. It's the best the Old Testament has. But the Old Testament points past itself to the new, to a much greater symbol, not even a symbol really, the reality. 
where the Lord Jesus Christ, the true son of David, left his father's throne above and he came to earth to temple among us, to be the temple where we meet God, to sacrifice his own blood. Now think about this. David said, I want to pay full price to identify with the sin. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I want to pay full price to identify with the sins of my people, the price of my blood. I'm willing to do that. And when the sword of wrath came close to Jerusalem that day and came close to Christ, God the Father did not stay the sword of wrath that day. Even in light of his son praying and crying out to him, God let the full wrath that you and I and all his people deserve fall fully on Christ so that we can be free. No matter our sin, if we are in Christ, all the wrath has already been averted. All the punishment has already been paid in full. We are free. Hallelujah. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so unworthy. We are so like David in his worst moments, in his pride and his selfishness, ignoring advice, plowing ahead. Would you make us more like David in his best moments? Humbling ourselves, confessing our sin, taking full responsibility, not trying to make excuses or blame. But mainly, Lord, would you make us like David in looking away from ourselves and our own resources and looking to Christ again and again. And we think about the great sacrifice of Christ. We think about your great mercy, Father God. Please don't let our hearts be unmoved. Please let our hearts be freshly melted, freshly molded, freshly motivated to obey you, to please you, to honor you, not because we have to to earn anything, but just because we get the privilege of living a life to honor and thank and praise your great love for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.